This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to Women to Watch, making its debut tonight on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, with my very special guest coming up, Magdalena Yessel. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be the newest member of the 1210 family and have the opportunity to be right here with you every Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Women to Watch will bring you candid stories of women from around the world who lead in their chosen fields, and we will learn about what they do, but more importantly, who they are as women. Uh, I'd like to give a very big shout out to Jefferson University Hospital for their sponsorship of Women to Watch and for lending us their very own Dr. Marianne Ritchie, who will be joining us every week for the Women's Health Watch. Uh, we have a really exciting new watch team of contributors who are going to be joining me every week to bring you the Health Watch, Money Watch, Tech Watch, Biz Watch, and Leadership Watch, the latest news and information uh, around their industries. So stay tuned for this very exciting new segment, which we're going to be bringing you in April. And be sure to follow us on womentowatch.net for all things related to the show, including our amazing lineup of women guests. Uh, we have a Girls to Watch blog and an on-the-road video series uh, and all the things related to the show. So I'd like to get started right now and welcome my very first guest here at Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Her name is Magdalena Yessel. And Magdalena is the founder of Broadway Angels, which is an angel group of all female investors. Magdalena, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you. And, and we'll say thank you to Heather Kernahan for making this wonderful connection uh, for us. I understand that she, too, does some great work out there in Silicon Valley um, in the area of technology. So I am very grateful to her for introducing me to you. And so am I. So, listen, I'd love to find out a little bit more about the young Magdalena, kind of your um, years growing up and uh, what your aspirations were and challenges were growing up in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, which, as you mentioned, is on the Asian side of the city there. Uh, tell me a little bit about those growing up years and, and what your upbringing was like. Well, so I am an Armenian from Turkey. And um, what I really wanted to do as a kid was um, to come to the United States. You may ask why. How did you even know about America? And it was the Apollo 11 mission that really, as a kid, excited me. And I thought America um, doesn't even stop at the sky. 
there's they're <laughs> they're out there going places and going to you know other uh the moon today other planets tomorrow mm. obviously i was naive but i'm a i was a very curious kid and the idea of the frontier really exhilarated me and from the day that i heard about this i wanted to come to the united states to go to college and then you know build myself a career where I would be doing kind of leading edge things. Yeah. Well, your your degrees, uh, which are all from Stanford, um, are in industrial engineering uh, and management, science and engineering, and, and you have a master's in electrical engineering. Correct. So, though, you know, you went from that type of a background um, to becoming an entrepreneur. When did you have those aspirations as a young girl, kind of running your own business? No, I really did not at all. Um, I became an entrepreneur because it was an era in Silicon Valley where getting a job was very, very difficult. And really, it was out of desperation that I created um, a new track for myself, and that was becoming an entrepreneur. So it wasn't like I grew up thinking, oh, I'll run my own business someday. I was a lot more focused on getting great jobs, working with great teams, understanding what the next technology wave would be, innovation. So much more focused on that as an engineer Mm -hmm. than it was about running my own business. But um, necessity uh, required that I become an entrepreneur, and I did, and it worked out for me. It did. And I will say one of the things I would imagine was um, kind of a, a, a boost to your confidence uh, was the support that you received from your father growing up, telling you Absolutely. that you could indeed do anything that you wanted. Yes, as long as I was willing to pay the price. So my father was a very realistic man. Um, unlike a lot of parents who tell their children, you can do anything you want. He didn't stop there. He said you can do anything you want as long as you're willing to pay the price. Mm -hmm. So you'd better really figure out what the price is. And another thing he used to say is, you know, any idiot can take a risk with their eyes closed. The trick in life is to take a risk with your eyes open. Mm. Know what you're doing. Know what the risk is. And that training, you know, those words resonated with me. That training came through and through multiple times in my career. The idea of becoming an entrepreneur is basically taking a risk. So being able to articulate what the risk is, what the downside is, and then ask myself the question, am I willing to pay that price? Mm. Well, one of the other things you shared with me um, a few months ago was uh, about your mom actually kind of re-entering the workforce at the age of 63. I, I love this story, and I would say that was taking a risk. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to correct you. She was not re-entering the workforce. She was entering the first workforce for the oh, very first time that, in her whole life. That's right. That's right. T- tell us that story. It's a great story. Yeah. So, so my mother, you know, a very traditional I want to say kind of a 50s woman, and now think about her not in the United States, but in a part of the world that was very much developing in those days. So the idea of working outside the home was really pretty much unheard of. Even though she was brilliant and she had high aspirations for herself, um, she actually never acted on them. So 
She was a great mother. She was a great wife. She was a great daughter to her parents. But what she wasn't was not great to herself. Mm. She sacrificed over and over and over again and was a basically support person, a major support person for everyone else. Um, she was actually also a support person, not just for me, but for my children. She, we all lived together in Palo Alto, California, and she watched our kids when I went to work and my husband went to work. So at about age 63, um, she was very interested in a new store that had just opened up in our neighborhood, a grocery store called Whole Foods Market. Mm. And they were hiring, and she was really she she loved cooking. She was really into food, and I said, "Mom, how about you apply?" And she said, "Me apply? It's just like I've never worked in my life. I don't even know where I would start. I don't even I've never had an interview." Anyway, long story short, she did apply. I took her. She had her interview. Now, most of the people they were hiring were much younger. So here she was, an older lady who looked incredibly responsible, spoke many languages, and she ended up getting a job behind the bakery counter as a barista and serving cookies and uh, cakes and making cappuccinos all day. Mm. And I have never in my life seen a human being blossom like she did. The fact that she started getting that validation from a paycheck, no matter how small, no matter what her job was, made the biggest difference in her life. And I'm so happy she had that opportunity. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. You know, it's a perfect example of it's never too late. For sure. Sure enough. Right? Yes. And didn't she, didn't uh, customers adored her um, because they she was did. able to speak all the different languages, right? right? So here's a woman. I mean, she, she spoke um, six languages very fluently. Here's a woman who had all the skill set and never had put it to use. You know, she knew every opera by heart. She was very well read. And all of a sudden, behind the countertop, Stanford University attracts an international crowd. Palo Alto is right where Stanford is. So this international crowd coming through the store had someone that maybe spoke their language. So she would carry conversations in multiple languages, and she loved her job so much that sometimes she showed up about 20 minutes before it was time to open (laughs) and wait there. And finally, oh. they said, "Why don't you just open the store?" Yeah. Like, we've never seen anything like it. Well, you. she should have been the manager. They should have given her the key and, and made her the manager. Well, she definitely got the key because she was opening every morning, and she oh. just, you know, yeah. so that enthusiasm that she showed for her job, obviously, you know, was um, was showing. And what became so fantastic for me was I was an entrepreneur in those days. I was on TV a lot. I was in magazines. And when we walked up and down Palo Alto Main Street, people stopped to talk to her, not to me. As it should be. (laughs) (laughs) She's the mom. Um, If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the debut broadcast of Women to Watch. uh, And I'm with a very special guest this evening, Magdalena Yesel. Um, I want to read a quote that um, I picked up in my, you know, in my research. Um, you said, I love solving problems. I am an engineer. I looked at every hurdle as a problem to be solved, to be solved, excuse me. As an immigrant who showed up in America 
with no support, no money, everything was a hurdle. So tell when you go back to those years and that time, is there one particular personal challenge that stands out to you that was the greatest? There were so many. I mean, my biggest personal challenge on my day one was I ended up in Southside Chicago. Um, my university was located in the middle of the projects in those days, and I had a heavy British accent. I just didn't fit in at all. And I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know how to act. I was coming from an all-girls school to a very co-ed environment. So it was truly a culture shock. And yet it was also exhilarating because it was so new, so different. Everything about it was unique. I had to throw everything I knew out the window and start fresh. So that approach of looking at hurdles, not as obstacles, but actually as challenges that can invigorate you, that is something that I've stuck with because, like you said, as an engineer, one thing you learn is problem solving. That's all you do. Your, pro- your homework is problem sets. Your test is your exams are problem sets. So that approach of, okay, here's a problem. How do I solve this? How do I break it into its parts? Which do I do first? Instead of saying, oh, this is beyond me, it's too much, I don't even know a thing about it. So I think the mental approach of looking at hurdles as challenges to be solved, and sometimes you can solve them and sometimes you can't. This is not a completely, you know, um, positive result at each time. But if you can't solve the problem, you don't get discouraged. You just say, okay, on to the next one. You know, it's it's great advice about you know looking at these kinds of issues as more of a, uh, an exciting challenge as opposed to oh here's another problem because we're we're going to face them every day all day long. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? Oftentimes our attitude makes a lot of difference. Um, not always. We can't solve everything with attitude, but the optimism that we can show, first of all, is contagious. People around us pick it up and they want to help us. And secondarily, we just are we're basically empowering ourselves. And no one else can empower us like we can. That's right. Ourselves. Absolutely. I, I wanted to, to ask you about your book, uh, which is called Power Up, How Smart Women Win in the New Economy. And you decided to write this book to really encourage women to kind of ignore the gender stereotypes and statistics and and really feel confident about entering um, into the tech field or, or really any field. Correct. And that was really one and only motivation uh, to take on this project. What was beginning to become very obvious to me was that the negative coverage with media which is, by the way, true, there's nothing untruth about it, was actually discouraging some of the young women that I was talking to. They were opting out, especially from fields that seemed like a men's world. And the one thing I do know and did know is that, in fact, whatever the environment is that we can characterize as a man's world, it needs more women, not less women. So if these young women opt out, what does that mean? That means we're going to have less women over time. So I felt that even though we were not significant from a statistical point of view, 
I had about 27 women that I could interview and put our learnings into a book so that the reader, the, the whomever that is, could learn from our mistakes, could learn from our advice, could get some pragmatic tools to use when they face the challenge, but most importantly, not to opt out from fields that were or that are not that welcoming to women. Yeah. Um, listen, when, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to find out exactly why you believe that we need more women in technology. We'll be right back. It's time for a change. You know, I've been behind another movement called the Article 5 Convention of States. Senator Tom Coburn comes to the Broadway Theater in Pittman, New Jersey to talk about smashing the D.C. monopoly. Rich Zioli will get answers, too, if conservatives can take this country back with a convention of states. Tickets are on sale now and include a copy of Senator Coburn's book, Smashing the D.C. Monopoly. And we'll see you March 22nd at 7 p.m. Go to cbsphilly.com slash speaker series to buy your tickets now. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215 215- 233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. It's a city versus suburb showdown as the best of the best high school girls and high school boys basketball players in the Delaware Valley compete on April 8th in the All-Star Labor Classic presented by the Philadelphia Union Building Trades. Get your free tickets now and don't miss a Philadelphia basketball tradition, which has donated over $3 million for United Cerebral Palsy to Blossom Philadelphia. It's the All-Star Labor Classic, a Philadelphia tradition. The best high school girls and the best high school boys from the entire Delaware Valley. It's a city versus suburb showdown. Sunday, April 8th, the 31st annual All-Star Labor Classic, presented by Philadelphia's Organized Labor and being played at the University of the Sciences in Philadelphia. Serving up a unique cocktail and dining experience? Visit the Art Bar in the lobby level of Senesta Philadelphia Rittenhouse Square, a fresh contemporary space for guests and locals. Sip art-inspired cocktails and light bites during happy hour, 5 to 7, Monday through Friday. Remember to always show your union card to get 20% off in the Art Bar. Hosting a happy hour? Art Bar is the go-to place. And if you're looking for something more formal, check out Ruth's Chris right off of the lobby of the hotel. For more information, visit Senesta.com Philadelphia. That was already tried. It didn't work. What's the alternative? Weekday mornings, 5.30 to 9. Talk Radio 1210. WPHD. Welcome 
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the debut broadcast of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. And I'm joined by Magdalena Yessel, the founder of Broadway Angels, and also I should mention the first investor of Salesforce, the number one customer relationship management platform. Uh, Just before the break, we were talking about women in technology and and really why we need more women in technology. And Magdalene, I'd love to know your your personal opinion about why we need them and and how it will make a difference um, on a national and global level. Absolutely, because users of technology are not just men, they're also women. So it's very hard to design products that really are useful for both genders if you don't have any input from um, the women as well. In fact, um, technology used to be very much in the domain of what we used to call early adopters. These were people who were technologists themselves. They liked um, to go get the you know next generation computer or next generation gizmo. But technology is no longer that way. It has become part of everyone's life. It affects us in areas that um, we could not do without. Um, A very good example is your smartphone. You know, how many people are walking down the street looking at their phones instead of at traffic? Um, It also is part of everyone's entertainment now. So long story short, technology is part of our lives. And the reason why it's important to attract women into this field is because we need to build products across the board for everybody. By the way, we also need to build products not just for people in the United States, but internationally, for international users as well. Um, I want to talk about the fact that you've invested in over 30 companies uh, yourself, and, and I'm curious to know what exactly you look for um, in those companies, and also what traits do you look for in the entrepreneurs that you are looking to invest in? Yeah, so I have had a varied career. I've been an entrepreneur myself, starting um, three different companies. I'm actually right now at my fourth company. Uh, I'm the executive chair of Drive Informed. Um, I also have a career as an investor, uh, first as a venture capitalist, which basically means you invest other people's money, and then um, as the founder of Broadway Angels, as an angel investor. So what I look for is um, usually a great team because at the end of the day, what really will carry the company through the bad times, and there always are bad times, is the makeup of the team, is their ability to really work hard, their ability to think outside the box, to be creative, to not give up to not get discouraged when a competitor, you know, announces a competing product that might be better than theirs, to be able to zig and zag. So the team is probably, for me, the number one criteria of making an investment decision. And the second is the market, because no matter how good the team is, if the market is shrinking, if the market is not big enough, why are they going to be wasting their time solving that problem when they could be solving a problem of a larger marketplace where there will be a lot more users, a lot more buyers? Mm. 
So let me ask you this question. In, in all the years that you have been working in Silicon Valley, uh, over 30 years, I believe. Correct. Have you ever had a moment uh, where you experienced gender discrimination as you were working your way um, throughout? So I, w- I will answer that with an anecdote. Okay. Uh, in 2015, I was invited to the G20 summit where uh, prime ministers, labor ministers, uh, presidents of the top 20 economies of the world gather once a year to basically um, discuss the world economy, solve global problems, and for the very first time, the G20 was going to host an innovation summit. And I was asked to attend, and I was asked to run the innovation summit. Since I was there, they also had a panel on small and medium-sized businesses around the world and the impact those businesses have on the world economy, and they asked me to be a panelist on that. So I, I obliged. Um, at the end of this panel, uh, when it was opened up for question answer to the audience, um, the very first question was directed at me, and it had nothing to do with small and medium-sized businesses of the world. It was very much the question you just asked, and that was, Magdalena, as a woman in technology in Silicon Valley, what kind of gender discrimination have you faced? And I said, frankly, I cannot remember one door ever shutting on me because I'm a woman in my 30-plus years of career. In fact, I truly believe that many doors open to me, maybe more easily because I'm female. And I went on to cite a few. And then right after my answer, a German uh, economist who had just published a report on small and medium-sized businesses around the world chimed in. And she started quoting from her report and from statistics how women didn't have access to equal access to capital, how women didn't have the opportunity to network because of gendered activities, et cetera. And she was quoting real statistics, real research. And the numbers were very, very discouraging. So after we all adjourned, she walked straight up to me and she said, Magdalena, I think the reason why you have been successful is because you truly believe that your gender never stood in your way. In fact, you truly believe that your gender was a plus, not a minus. And I think that sums up my whole approach throughout my career. I never looked at my gender as a hindrance. I never looked at my gender and said, ah, these guys are not letting me in because I'm a woman. I just said, like we spoke about earlier, how do I get in? How do I get to play with them? So it was much more of a problem solving. There is a problem here. How do I go around and get to where I want to be? Mm. And I felt, and I still feel, that any time I attempted to be included, to do certain things, I got there. Okay, it was maybe longer. Of course it took time. Of course it took, you know, frustrating moments. But I always got to where I wanted to be. And I will ask you, where do you think that that confidence came from? 
in you? Was it was did you did you have um, you know a, one of those pivotal moments in your life that helped you to believe in your abilities, or was it just innate? I think what happened to me, and this is a funny story, is that um, my father had two daughters. I'm the younger one, and in many ways, I think he truly treated me. And now we're talking the Middle East and the, you know, 60s. But he really treated me like the son he didn't have. So I got included in everything. I got to go to his office. I got to play with his, um, you know, typing machine, et cetera. So I, as a kid, felt very included and very much like I could do anything uh, within reason, manners were very important, and if I didn't have manners, I would be excluded from everything. But as long as I had manners, I could be included. So I think that confidence really came from early on, and I say now to fathers um, who have daughters, I say, you know, you are probably the most important figure, you know, followed by your wife. But as the father, you are incredibly important to empower that young woman, that young girl, that little kid, to make sure that she feels valued, that she feels like there's nothing that will ever shut to her because she can get in. Mm. I, I think you're so right about the fact that there seems to be more power in receiving that messaging um, from a dad than a mom. Well, especially since it's the dad is of the gender that would usually try to exclude you. That's right. Right. So, yeah, right. so if it's a guy who has included you, you just have in your subconscious, yeah, the men will include me sooner or later. If it's a woman, it is great. Of course, it's incredibly important, but it doesn't answer the question of, but will the guys include me? So I do think that that father figure for a young girl, for a for a child, and it starts early on. It's important, and we really need to give that self confidence to our young women. That's right. And and how about a, a male mentor throughout your career? Because I think it's important as well outside of our family and close friends who will um, always you know make an effort to lift us up when there's someone in in your career, in your professional life that says, I believe in you, um, that has a lot of weight. Did, did someone do that for you? So I did not have a mentor in my career. That doesn't mean that I did not have men who were very supportive, who were my partners or my bosses. But in my definition, a mentor is much more of a benevolent relationship versus a partner, a business partner, or a boss, there is, it's a very symbiotic relationship because when you work with them, they gain from your success. And in my mind, a symbiotic relationship is going to be much more productive than a one-sided, benevolent relationship. So I encourage women to, in fact, go find great bosses Go find business partners. Don't just look for a mentor because people only can give for so long. And then they might say, well, why am I spending my time with so-and-so? Unless they really have great joy in watching your success. But frankly, I didn't have any of those relationships in my life. So 
I don't quite know how that would be, but I've had great bosses, fantastic bosses, that wanted me to excel because when I excelled, they made more money. They there, were more right, there you go. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the debut broadcast of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined uh, this evening by Magdalena Yessel, founder of Broadway Angels. Um, I would love to talk to you about money for a few minutes. Um, you had stated that it's important for women to get comfortable with the topic of money. Realize that in the world of business, your salary is your report card. I love that. I think it's something women, we t struggle with that. And um, do you believe that? And are you seeing a change as we see more and more female entrepreneurs? Well, I do think that more young women are getting comfortable with the concept of money, are getting more aggressive, um, asking for raises. But I think it's still a very small percentage. So first of all, I say this, and I'll say it again here, um, you don't need to necessarily need more money. It's just like when you get an A on your report card, you don't really need that A. You just want that A because it shows off that you're really good at what you're doing. So the salary is just like that. It's basically a reflection of the fact that your company is valuing you, that you're really doing a great job. So it's important to ask for what you deserve. Mm. Now, I also want to say that if you get fixated on your salary and that's all you want and then you feel like a victim because they're not giving you what you want, that's, that's the flip side, which can be very negative. So it's important to know and ask for what you're worth but it's also important not to try to get every last penny off the table because if you get fixated in that, you're going to spend too many cycles trying to negotiate the last few dollars and probably upset people in the process. So it's having that equilibrium between feeling like you really are being valued for your contributions but also having some sense that you want your company to think of you as not just a salary negotiator. Mm. Okay, listen, we're going to take another uh, quick break. When we come back, I'd love to have you share with our listeners a little bit about what language women can use around negotiating uh, money and their salaries. We'll be right back. financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley-Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215 215- 233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Serving up a unique cocktail and dining experience? Visit the Art Bar in the lobby level of Senesta Philadelphia Rittenhouse Square, a fresh contemporary space for guests and locals. Sip art-inspired cocktails and light bites during happy hour, 5 to 7, Monday through Friday. Remember to always show your union card to get 20% off in the Art Bar. Hosting a happy hour? Art Bar is the go-to place. And if you're looking for something more formal, check out Ruth's Chris right off of the lobby of the hotel. For more information, visit Senesta.com slash Philadelphia. Talking about what you're talking about. Talk Radio 1210. The reason why I wrote Power Up is because I feel that there is so much negative news and such depressing statistics about women and their success metrics in the field of technology and technology-affected industries. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the debut broadcast of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this evening by Magdalena Yessel, founder of Broadway Angels and author of Power Up, How Smart Women Win in the New Economy. And, you know, Magdalena, I was thinking about you at the break, um, looking over my notes and everything that you have accomplished. So, so impressive from the very beginning, coming to a new country, um, you know, learning a new language, not having money. Um, your degrees from Stanford are quite uh, impressive. And my question for you is, how have you been able to, to remain so grounded? Oh, because I am who I am. My money, my success, my failure, my lack of money, none of that defines me. What defines me is who I am, who, I, who my parents wanted me to be. I really tell young people this, don't let your success or your failure define you because you're going to be miserable because one day you'll be successful and you'll think you're amazing, and the next <laughs> day you might fail, and then yeah. what do you do? Yeah. So that has nothing to do with who you are. Mm. You are who you are. You are the person that your parents uh, raised for you to be. You are the person that your spouse loves. You're the person that your kids hopefully look up to. That's who you are. Your business stuff is just what you do day in and day out, but it's not who you are. So it's very important to separate those. Mm -hmm. And in my life, I really am very thankful that I still have the very same friends that I did uh, when I was a kid growing up, even though I live at the other end of the world now. I still have my college friends. I still communicate with, you know, my friends who I was in primary school with. I mean, these are, and then, of course, new friends I've made throughout my life. But that is really who I am. 
my success is nice. Of course, I worked really hard for it. But if I fail tomorrow, that's not going to define me. Mm. Nor did my successes to date really make me who I am. Well, it's refreshing. And I think that sometimes people who receive a certain amount of notoriety um, or, or I'll say power as well, because when you are one of the experts in a field, you have a certain amount of power that sometimes they lose that sense of who they are. Yeah, and I think, again, I really owe this to my parents. My parents always taught me two things. Number one, doesn't matter how wealthy your spouse is or how wealthy you are, always work because great joy comes from doing things, accomplishing things. So I really was, you know, brought up with this idea that work's a joy and you've got to stay in it as long as you possibly can. And then the second thing, the second part of what they really instilled in me was, was basic human values. We did, I didn't come from a wealthy family. I came from a very middle class and maybe even lower level of economic sophistication. But we always had what we needed, even if we only had one meal, you know, one big meal a day. So it was just we were always satisfied, and, and that ability to be satisfied with what you have. It's a dichotomy because a lot of people feel like you've got to work really hard because you're not satisfied. You're still trying to – you're still pushing. But I like working hard because I like working hard, period. Mm. Well, you know, you, you have done that, and you've done that very well. When you have moments when you're um... – I think we all have moments when we're making a big decision or working on a project that doesn't go well, and you have that kind of self-doubt. What is? Do you have a mantra? Is there something that you say to yourself to help move you past those moments of insecurity? Absolutely. I always say to myself, it doesn't matter. The outcome doesn't matter. Now, it's important because I worked so hard to get to, to solve the problem, to get to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. But if it's not going to work out, I also, I think, have the wisdom and maturity to say, this is not going to destroy me. It, what, how, worse could, how much worse could it be? It won't be. It's not going to kill me, so it's okay. Um, sometimes you're a salesperson, you've been working on an account, you think it's almost in, and then there's a management change and the account disappears. You don't make quota. You are not going to get that, you know, additional bonus commission. It's pretty devastating. But it's important to remember it's okay. I'm still going to be fine tomorrow morning when I wake up. Mm. And, and I really, I think that's what we call being grounded. It doesn't matter. We're still going to be fine. And I say that to myself. I've failed many times. I've, I've hit bottom. And, you know, we don't talk about those as often in interviews. But it's, you know, I knew that tomorrow I was always going to be fine. It just was, I was having, it was going to be a tough day. It was going to be a tough night. But tomorrow morning, the sun shines again. I'm going to get up and I'm going to put my feet on the ground and I'm going to keep walking. I think that's really great advice for young people in today's world. 
I agree. I think that young people are get more devastated quicker than my generation, mm. and and that's not good. It's <laughs> you can't get devastated so quickly. They also have very high expectations. Let's face it. We've got some um, some Mark Zuckerberg poster children. He's not the only one around. These are you know young people who made uh, money very quickly. And they hold, so young people hold themselves to really high standards. They do. That's statistically very, very unlikely. What what would you say is uh, um, one of the greatest contributions that millennials are making in, in technology? Oh, what I love about millennials, and I don't know of any other generation that had this so much innate in their thinking, and that is social impact. They really care about the social impact of whatever job they have. They also vote with their wallet. They read labels. They are so conscious of their environment. Mm. And so they don't just go get a job. I mean, some of them have to. But they think of what will this, you know, do I really believe in this company's values? Do I really feel proud to work here? So the questions that they're asking are so much more sophisticated than the questions that I was asking when I was their age. That's so true. I I happen to have a couple of millennials, and and my husband and I were always joking about the fact that they actually go into these interviews and interview uh, the interviewer and the companies rather than the other way around. Isn't that the truth? It is. It's fantastic. I mean, I do think that the world's going to be a better place because of them, because they're just so much more conscious of what's going on around them. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk to you for a minute about Silicon Valley. You know, those of us who are on the outside of all of that, we all have a different perception of of what it's like to be there. And I mentioned Heather Kernahan. I hope she's listening, who introduced us. And uh, in an article, she talked about Silicon Valley being both competitive but yet very collaborative. Has that been your experience over the past three decades? Now, I do think that um, Silicon Valley is a lot more cooperative now, especially among women, than it used to be. First of all, when I first got started in my career, there were not that many women around and in technology. And I was working for a semiconductor company, and really there were very few and far between. And the sad part for me as a young woman was that, in fact, the women who were there were not welcoming to other women. It was what we used to call the queen bee syndrome. I want to be the only one here, and I do not want another woman. Mm. I think that has completely disappeared. And uh, women, I think, are so much more supportive of each other. They're so much more willing to bring each other along. And to me, that's such a so refreshing, so wonderful. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take one last break. And w- when we come back, I'd love for you to share with us a, a, a project or an entrepreneur that's up and coming that uh, might be exciting right now for you. We'll be right back. On our Spring Dance Hot Tub Hotline. Every day. Congressman Tom MacArthur. Jeffrey Lord. Governor, welcome back to the show, sir. It's been a while. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be back. Wherever the story, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT is talking directly to the 
decision makers. Senator Rand Paul joining us now live. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD call in line is brought to you by Spring Dance Hot Tubs, the most reviewed hot tub company in the Delaware Valley. Talk lives here. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley-Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Serving up a unique cocktail and dining experience? Visit the Art Bar in the lobby level of Senesta, Philadelphia, Rittenhouse Square. A fresh contemporary space for guests and locals. Sip art-inspired cocktails and light bites during happy hour, 5 to 7, Monday through Friday. Remember to always show your union card to get 20 percent off in the art bar hosting a happy hour art bar is the go-to place and if you're looking for something more formal check out ruth's chris right off of the lobby of the hotel for more information visit sinesta.com slash philadelphia obama's agenda was repudiated it was sent packing weekdays noon till three on talk radio 1210 so when my mother came and started living with us and was doing the same thing for my children as she had done for me i urged her when the children started preschool to actually get a job and at 63 years old my mother, Selma Ishil, got a job at Palo Alto Whole Foods Market in the bakery section behind the counter, selling cookies and making cappuccinos. Welcome back, and, and thank you so much again for tuning in to this week's Women to Watch on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm here tonight with Magdalena Yessel, the founder of Broadway Angels, uh, an angel group of all female investors, which I absolutely love. And I, I thought, uh, you know, we're towards the end of the show, and I'd love for you to share a story about perhaps a, an up-and-coming entrepreneur or new startup um, that you might be involved in uh, that is exciting and you want to talk about. Absolutely. I want to talk about a startup uh, by the name of The Real Real. Mm-hmm. And the real real is a company here in Silicon Valley that basically brings uh, luxury consignment to online. So by going to the real real, you can either sell your um, high-end, you know, brand name purses or jewelry or watches, or you can go buy these um, that are already used at a discount from what you would pay at the um, retailer. Um, which What the founder, Julie um, Wainwright, calls the circular economy. You know, we all talk about being um, 
consumers and there's the consumption rate is so high. So why not recycle in a very thoughtful way where you've already taken advantage of having that nice uh, Dior bag or Chanel bag. You're kind of tired of it and let someone else enjoy it. Sell it, you get some cash back and someone else gets to have the fun of owning that handbag for a while. So the circular economy is what the real real is focused on. And the reason why, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. The reason why I'm singling uh, the real real is because the founder story, Julie Wainwright's story, is pretty incredible. Julie was the founder and CEO of Pets.com during the dot-com bust. Uh, Pets.com was a company that often got quoted as the excesses of the dot-com era, and um, Julie had to shut that company down, and it was a very, very public uh, shaming that she got from the industry because Pets.com was being used as a poster child for how horrible the dot-com era was. In fact, Julie was running a great business, and today you can order the very same pet food and other pet supplies online. But to summarize, this was definitely a huge blow to Julie and her career, not to mention her ego and um, personal life. Uh, in fact, the very same time that Julie was closing down her business, shutting down her business, her husband also asked for a divorce. So very tough time mm. for Julie. Yep. And what is incredible for me as a human being to watch this uh, person basically like the phoenix come out of the ashes, not be afraid to try again, and start from scratch, and establish the real real, which today is a major e-commerce vendor online, mm -hmm. owning the category of luxury consignment, and be a amazing winner, amazing role model for the next generation. Uh, my hats off to people like that. So I get great pleasure of watching Julie, the way she's running her company, the way she's building her business, and ultimately making both her buyers and her sellers very happy. That's a great story. I, I love that story. We might have to reach out to Julie and have her on the show. Oh, you would love her. She's a dynamo. Yeah. When did she launch? How many years has it been? I want to say maybe about four years or so. Okay. Real, real, five years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example of, right? I mean, we're all going to face something at some point, and um, the ability to roll with things and pivot and keep going forward is um, really the only choice we have. Absolutely, and therefore I love her story because, you know, the stories that are always uh, success after success after success actually don't teach us as much, and by the way, they don't inspire us as much either. That's right. You, you've said, um, I read a, another quote where you said, always flow forward to the sea you long to reach. Yes. What does that mean to you? So I, we should close with this. In my culture, where you're leaving on a journey, all your friends, family, neighbors show up. And as you're departing, they throw buckets of water after you. 
And it's symbolic to say, may you flow like water, may your journey be open, may you always be able to flow around obstacles like water and ultimately get to where you're hoping to get to. So that's, in my mind, uh, amazing imagery that has propelled me forward when I've hit obstacles and I've said to myself, I'm just like water. I'm going to flow around this obstacle. I'm not going to stop. I can't let it stop me. Just like water does, I, you always find a way. And, um, That's beautiful. And my, and my parting words would be, you know, be like water, sometimes gentle, sometimes roaring, but always moving forward to the sea or your Beautiful, beautiful. Magdalenas, thank you so much for being my very first guest here on Talk Radio 1210 WPH2. It was wonderful. I, I thank you so much. And stay tuned, everyone, for Christine Flowers coming up next every Sunday night from 8 to 11. Until next week, I'm Sue Rocco bringing you the real story behind the leader.